It's Monday, January 6th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me in studio, the one and only Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. Hey, happy to be here. Happy New Year. As, happy New Year to you. And man, I tell you, I heard um, the other day the, the Market Foolery with Andy Cross, and I saw on Twitter, I mean, we're beginning our 10th year here on this, this show. This is year 10. Wow. Yeah, we're starting year 10. That is... It's a little crazy. That is pretty... Pretty awesome. I mean, I'm I'm getting ready to hit my tenth year here at the company in February, and and it just it strikes me like I was very lucky. I sort of, you know, Kramered this one like Seinfeld Kramer just fell ass backwards. And for whatever reason, <laughs> Mac asked me to join one day for this market foolery test, and ten years later, here we are. It was like, hey, we're gonna try this thing. Yeah. We're gonna try it for a couple of weeks, see if it works. It's it's really I just it's it's one of my favorite parts of the job, and I'm always happy to be here. Well, that's all the time we have. <laughs> uh, no, we've got news. We've got uh, we've got a deal, the deal of the day. We've got uh, we've got the curtain being pulled back on one of the biggest brand names out there, and we'll, we'll get to those. But one of the things that happens um, when you when the calendar falls the way it does, and you, basically we've been we haven't been off for two weeks, but. Uh, we haven't been as news focused because we haven't been here every day, and news continues to happen in the business world. And I wanted to start with with that, um, and it's a deal involving PayPal and Mercado Libre. And I'm I'm hoping you can unpack this for me because um, I've given it a quick glance, and I'm I'm not sure exactly what this deal entails. But uh, some listeners may recall that earlier in 2019, uh, PayPal made an investment. In Mercado Libre, and very late December, like December 30th, um, PayPal announced sort of a deepening of the relationship, um, a, a deeper partnership. Um, what does that actually entail for PayPal and for Mercado Libre? Yeah, I mean, this is so. Yeah, I mean, I, I was reading through the the LinkedIn post that CEO Dan Shulman actually put up here, PayPal CEO, um, and so I mean. First, first things first. I mean, this is the kind of news you like to hear if you're an investor in either one of these companies. Mercado Libre. I mean, we've always we've always thought of it as an e-commerce company, sort of the Amazon of the Latin America. But it, you know, if you follow this company, you go through their earnings reports, it really starts to feel more and more like a payments company as time goes on. Uh, particularly with its mobile point of sales growth, uh, and I mean, another point to note from Mercado Libre's most recent quarter. For the first time ever, actual total payment volume away from Mercado Libre's marketplaces surpassed the total payment volume on their marketplaces. And so this clearly is becoming more and more a payments company. And so then you look at companies like PayPal and Mercado Libre and you want to see them leverage their core competency and then grow their networks. And and this does both for both. Uh, ultimately, it gives PayPal uh, more exposure to what I I would say is one of the one of the up and coming economies certainly in Brazil and Brazil is the lion's share of Mercado Libre's business today. Um, it gives Mercado Libre access to that 300 million plus uh, active user base that PayPal uh, boasts today. Uh, so it is it is another payment option for both networks. And and ultimately, that's what you want to see. I mean, it is about growing your network and giving consumers more options. And this does uh, really both for both companies. And that that ultimately is a good thing. A little surprising, just from the standpoint of we we have seen in the past, and we saw just a couple of weeks ago, companies put out material news around the holidays, 
And more often than not, I would argue that companies do that to sort of dampen the blow of what is bad news. You know, yeah. uh, uh, most recently Boeing, you know, pushing their CEO out the door. You know, thirty six hours before Christmas. You know, that kind of thing. So, um, so it was interesting that just the timing of this. Uh, and, and and I'm not suggesting anything nefarious going on, <laughs> but it, it was just one of those like, well, wait a minute, why aren't you why aren't you waiting until there's more of a spotlight on this? Um, um, but yeah. but uh, that's just my own musings. Um, am I the only one in this room who's surprised that Mercado Libre is only a $30 billion company? I, uh, that depends. I, <laughs> I guess that depends on your perspective. I, I, I guess I thought it would be bigger. And, oh, well, and, yeah. and I look at it as a company, not without challenges, but a company that, because it's a $30 billion company, it maybe has more room to run than I would have previously guessed. I, well, so yeah, I mean, it, it has certainly been on fire these past several years. It's been a wonderfully performing investment, um, and if you if you follow the business, I mean, you look at the numbers, you can see why. Um, and I think that when you when you see a business like Mercado Libre that is up and coming in a in an economy that is up and coming with a growing middle class. Um, and and you see them partner up with a company like PayPal, and I mean this is far more than just PayPal being accepted on Mercado Libre platforms. I mean Mercado Pago, which is Mercado Libre's payment solution, that's going to be accepted as as a method of payment at PayPal merchants all around the world. Um, and I mean there are more than forty eight million Mercado Pago users in Brazil and Mexico alone. And then remember PayPal. Uh, bought the remittance company Zoom a little while back, and they've done a good job of incorporating Zoom into their business. And that's going to be something that ties up with the Mercado Libre here, as it will allow Mercado Pago users to receive remittances into their Mercado Pago wallet via Zoom. And so, I mean, you see companies like Mastercard and Visa making big investments in cross-border payments. This is uh, very similar in, in you know. PayPal opening up uh, the cross-border opportunity with their business, and Mercado Libre benefiting from that as well. Um, I, I, so it, it, it's an investment that has done very well over the past several years. And, and so, for people who remember this business when it was a two billion dollar company, I mean, it's been just a wonderful time at, at the size it is today. I, I think that your point is is spot on. It still has a lot of room to run when you consider the market that it plays in, not only just its core competency in being that retail network, but now clearly uh, as a payments company as well. I mean, just a lot of different ways for a company like this to win. Uh, and don't forget, too, I mean, PayPal made that big honey acquisition just a little while back, which to me, I'm not as familiar with honey as a user. It's one that acquisition sort of left me with some questions. It it does look a little bit more interesting now that you can see them expanding their network even more because now you can see them actually bringing that product to more consumers around the world. So maybe this acquisition starts to make a little bit more sense from that perspective as well. I just I think these are two businesses uh, that for 2020 and many years beyond stand a, a great opportunity to grow considerably. Shares of Smile Direct Club up 17% this morning. Smile Direct is launching a line of oral care products that are going to be available exclusively at a little retailer we like to call Walmart. <laughs> that's 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 why the stock's up 17%. Well, and that makes sense, you know. I mean, we talked about companies utilizing their core competencies and leveraging that into new avenues of growth. This this definitely fits that bill. And I mean, I think for 
Um, the potential, the potential that maybe Smile Direct Club has, or that had, or maybe we think it could have, um, it did seem somewhat limited when it IPO'd, and I think that's that's being reflected in the stock price today. But I think that this is a sensible move, and it is something that is right in line with their wheelhouse, what they know, and I mean. Good oral health is 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 something that's pretty easy to get behind, right? I mean, it it, it makes a big difference in a lot of people's lives. Uh, it's it's something that everybody needs. I mean, we've seen companies uh, or advertising partner, for example, Quip. Yeah. Uh, that stuff is really taking off, and so I think from from the perspective of uh, Smile Direct Club, I mean, it is really all about distribution and figuring out a way to take this business to the next level. And doing something like this makes perfect sense. And obviously, Walmart just a tremendous presence all over the world. My potential here. Absolutely, you have to believe the terms that Walmart got were probably. Probably pretty good too. Oh, like, I, yeah. like, like if you're a Walmart shareholder, this seems like a nice little added bonus. Smile Direct needs Walmart way more than the other way around. But it is interesting too to see, like, you know, with companies like CVS, for example, and how they're trying to take their big installed bricks and mortar stores and turn those into something more than just a retail location, turn them into healthcare facilities. Uh, Walmart is looking to try to, to do that as well. And this could be one step in that direction. You bring more of a smile direct presence in there beyond just those retainers. I mean, now you're talking about or oral health in general. I mean, a lot of different ways you can go with that, and and obviously they've already got the bricks and mortar presence there. So this, this I, I like the move. I don't know that it makes me any more bullish on on Smile Direct in the near term, but I think this is definitely uh, a good sign of management thinking forward. Wall Street Journal came out with a story on Sunday that peels back the curtain a little bit on McDonald's new CEO. Chris Kemchinski and his drive to instill a more professional culture at McDonald's. And, you know, the stories about Kemchinski, it's also about former CEO Steve Easterbrook and the, you know, who left under a bit of a cloud, shall we say, in terms of a, a, an inappropriate personal relationship with, yeah. with an employee. Um, and you and I were talking this morning. Um, it, it should have set off a little bit of an alarm bell the day after Easterbrook left that it was announced that the chief people officer at McDonald's was leaving as well. And the journal story goes into sort of a partying type of culture among senior management. And, you know, good for Kimchinsky for taking the approach that he's taking because just to think about it just from a cold, Stock perspective, if he can improve the culture even further, then God only knows what the stock can do. Yeah, and, and I mean, because it was already doing pretty well. Yeah, it felt like it was, and I mean, you, you know, you think you know someone, and then you, you start to peel back the layers a little bit, and you realize maybe things weren't as hunky dory as we thought they might have been. I mean, this this is one of those situations I think that where maybe the business performance and in the stock performance led. Most of us to believe that everything was just okay, and and clearly everything wasn't just okay. I mean, I I I don't want to hold any any anything against Easterbrook here in in what he did with his business. I mean, he clearly helped bring this business to a new level in a time where it was sorely needed. But it does sound like there was the potential for a real people problem down the road. And and so I think that when you look at what Steve Easterbrook did, I. I don't want to make light of what he did, but I think he had the, he had the easier part of the job if this is really what was going on because recognizing operational issues and figuring out ways to make a business more efficient and and, and uh, 
those those are those are fairly easy things to recognize and if you can come up with a good plan then you can fix them but you know building a culture that stands the test of time is hard that's why that's why not everybody has done it and i think that it's becoming more and more of of a point of focus here for companies as we go into go into 2020 and beyond but you know it reminds me a lot this reminds me a lot of that old buffett quote where you know it takes 20 years to build a reputation and 5 minutes to ruin it and if you think about that you'll do things differently I mean, there was a real potential here if Easterbrook had stayed on and this type of behavior kept on going. I mean, that that reputation could have really gone down the toilet quickly. Um, So, uh, you know, I mean, it it was surprising to see some of of the stories, but by the same token, totally believable. I think it goes back to showing that being a CEO is really hard. We talk a lot about CEO compensation and how a lot of these CEOs are probably overpaid, and I think probably a lot of them are. But it's it's also worth looking at the other side of the coin, recognizing a CEO is ultimately responsible for a lot of employees. And so, you know, when you when you find CEOs who are doing a great job, I think it's worth recognizing. I think they're earning every penny. It's just they're not all doing a great job. Well, and the culture issues aside, I think if you're a McDonald's shareholder, you look at this story, you have to be heartened by the fact that. Kim Chinsky is essentially doing something that Easterbrook did when he took over as CEO, which is spend the first couple of months just meeting with franchisees, going on a listening tour, essentially, and finding out what's on their minds, what are their pain points, how can he be helpful. Um, You think back to when Easterbrook took over, and he said, look, I'm going to spend the first few months listening, and then I'm going to come out with my plan. Uh, Kim Chinsky's not following that playbook to the letter, but he is following it in sort of broad strokes. And I think that it, it sort of, at least initially, this seems to bode well for McDonald's. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think he has to go in there and really flip operational things upside down either. I mean, I think that, you know, that's that's nice that a lot of that lifting has been done. I mean, now he can go in there and focus a little bit more on building a company that uh, you know, has a culture that he and everyone else can be proud of, and I mean that's something that definitely takes time. He seems to uh, talk the talk pretty well. Now, I mean, you got to be able to walk the walk, right? I mean, he's setting the table there. Now you got to get everybody to sit down and buy in. Um, and there's no reason to believe they can't do that. Uh, it, it's just fascinating to read into this McDonald's culture. I mean, like it, it just—I was reading about like how about. Romantic relationships within the executive ranks there were fairly common, and I mean, people who <laughs> people who got married after meeting at McDonald's, I mean, they were said to have McMarriages. I mean, like, oh. I'm not kidding either, McMarriages. I mean, I I don't know how you get past that alone, right? That might be enough to say, you know what, maybe we should just take it slow, because I don't want a McMarriage, you know, because then it's the jokes never end, right? You. Have a couple of McNuggets, and, and you know who knows where they take this. It just is very interesting to read the culture of of what's been going on at the company, and it goes to show the dangers of leadership trying to be one of the guys, right? I mean, you really can't do that. You have to hold yourself more accountable, and and you have to hold yourself to a little bit of a higher standard and recognize this is no longer about being friends with the people you work with. It's about leading them. And those are two very, very different things. Do you imagine getting a wedding invitation that actually has the word McMarriage on it? I truly can't. I don't. I, I truly can't. I think, I think you have to boycott that wedding. <laughs> I just, like, I'm I sorry. I can't. I can't get behind that. Uh, real quick before we wrap up, the Golden Globes were last night, and the the one... 
investing takeaway I had from watching the Golden Globes, and I watched the whole thing, um, was uh, David Gardner's line about how winners tend to keep winning. When when I was looking at the nominee, you know, Meryl Streep getting her thirtieth nomination, <laughs> um, and the best supporting actor category for films, the nominees were Tom Hanks. Anthony Hopkins, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, and Brad Pitt. That is a murderer's row of acting talent. It really and, is. Um, it really is. And uh, maybe the the biggest surprise of the night was that Disney did not win Best Animated Film. It's, yeah, it's only saw, the it's only the fourth time Disney has not won Best Animated Film. It's funny because yeah, I saw that they didn't, and then I saw there was a the, the, you know whatever movie won that I I don't recall ever even hearing of the movie. And I mean, again, I, I don't need these award shows. I just don't care about them. I don't care about the awards and the nominations. I'm not, I don't understand exactly. I don't want to say, I don't, I don't want to go too far on the movie critic thing. I just don't pay attention to them. I feel like I'm going to go watch a movie and I'm going to like it and that's going to be fine. I don't need a critic to tell me what to watch and not to watch. Um, it was really weird, though, to see this. I had not heard of this movie, had you? I had heard of it. Um, it's, it's a movie called Missing Link. And um, there, there are two things, I, I, and I haven't seen it, um, but there are two things I like about it. One is, in the Best Animated Film category, it was the only original film. The other four nominees were either sequels or remakes. Ah. And so, you know, even as a Disney shareholder, I have to tip my cap to that. The other thing is, it's, um, and this is, I, I did a little digging this morning and found this part out. So, it, uh, Missing Link is a stop motion animation uh, style, and it's made by a, a studio in the Pacific Northwest called Leica Studios. And one of the founders of Leica Studios is Phil Knight from oh, Nike. Oh, yeah, yeah. And his son Travis is the CEO. And and I thought, okay, well, wait, did, did Phil Knight just basically throw his money at a studio and install his son as he <laughs> No, his son is actually his son um, is a, a director and a few years ago you I don't know if you're you and your girls saw this but um, there was a wonderful animated movie came out a few years ago called Cuba and the Two Strings and no. uh, totally worth watching it was one of those things that I thought, all right, I'll watch it. No, it was it was it was a wonderful movie, and he and Travis Knight directed that, and he's now the CEO. So, anyway, a little bit of a, a movie nerd dive. I feel like movie nerd slash business dive. Those movies to me are the ones where I, I go into them, and it's it's like, yeah, we're gonna watch it. It's a family movie, and the kids will love it and whatnot. And I I walk out of the overwhelming majority of those movies just loving them. Yeah. I mean, they are they are good, and I mean, I appreciate. Your comment on either the sequel or the reboot, because I, I feel like we're at a point now where this entire Hollywood has lost its creative uh, skill. I mean, I, it feels like everything is a reboot at this point or something. I mean, it just—it's hard to see as much on the original side coming anymore. So I appreciate the fact that they would give an award to something that was new and fresh and original um, and different. I, I do. Uh, I think you know you see. All of those nominations going to Netflix and HBO and Amazon. It sounds like they all did really well and uh, won their fair share of awards, which uh, makes a lot of sense. I, I, you know, we did go see over the break. I went and saw the last Star Wars movie. As did I. Yeah, and now so here's the thing, man. And I have, I, I, I saw a lot of stuff on Twitter about it, and you know, but I, I avoided all the spoilers. But man, people seemed. You're not uh, about to drop a spoiler. No, 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 no. I'm not going to drop any spoilers. But it just seemed to me that a lot of people got really worked up about this thing. Yes. Like, like to the point of offended. And and I, 
Listen, man, I'm just trying to go to a movie and have a good time and watch it. You know, there's some good eye candy there with explosions and spaceships and whatnot. That's awesome. It, man, I was just surprised at some of these people get so worked up over this stuff. And they're like poking holes in plots. It's not an investment thesis, guys. It's a movie. Just go sit down and enjoy it, right? There, Yes, there was, there was clearly... Clearly, some angst amongst uh, some of the more hardcore Star Wars fans. But our, our colleague Roger Friedman reminded me of this this morning because we were chatting about it. He also went with his family over the break to see it, and he said, "You know, this movie wasn't just wrapping up a trilogy; it was really wrapping up nine movies." Yeah. So when you think about the creative bar that this movie had to clear, that's a pretty high bar. And um, yeah, I felt the same way. I was like, "Yeah, very much enjoyed the movie. Was happy to have gone." Uh, I'm not going to quibble with it, but unfortunately, there are other people to do that. You know what? I, I will say, if, number one, we walked out of there feeling like there's totally the opportunity to have a Star Wars 10. I'm not convinced this thing is wrapped up. Oh. But the other thing I was thinking is we're still we're taking The Mandalorian slowly. We're enjoying it. It The Mandalorian is really, really good. Yeah. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, and, and they've already said Season 2 is coming. So. Oh, great. Fantastic. That's good to hear. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.